0: You're listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application.
1: We're all in this together. This week's topic, Bluffing, Part 1, Pre-Flop. Hey Dell, how's it going this week? It's going really good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I played two sessions live this weekend, and man, they were roller coasters. I was up and down and up and down, and up and down. I ended up finishing both sessions in the positive. So I played for like 11 hours, ended up winning like 15 big blinds per hour. It was is pretty decent. I'm not saying 15 big blinds is going to be a trend. I don't think 11 hours of poker makes a trend. You play as many hands as I did in 11 hours online in, what, 20 minutes?
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's my poker journey this week. How about you? It looks like you've been crushing it.
0: You know, um, not this month. I have done well this month. I've been doing about five big blinds per 100 this month. So I wouldn't necessarily say I've been crushing it. But ever since December 1st, ever since we did a little bit of mental work, we certainly have had this wonderful thing happen where My downswings, they're under control. What happened before would be I'd start to go downhill. Maybe I'd experience some negative variance, or maybe I'd make some bad decisions and, and suffer the consequence of those decisions. And then it would just get magnified. It would get magnified by my tilt. It would get magnified by my ego. All of that's under control. So what's getting to happen now is that I'm getting to keep them under control, continue to play well, And then when things turn around, instead of just trying to catch back up, I'm already caught up. So I get to, instead of being in this constant state of catching up, I actually get to experience some winning. I get to experience like some prolonged winning that's going on, and it's enjoyable. And I am sure I'm going to have more months down the road that are going to be losing months. But I'm still going to enjoy these winning months when they happen, and I'm still going to keep improving my poker.
1: When you and I started doing this podcast, we talked about why we're doing this. One of the reasons we do it is because we enjoy each other's company and we like talking about poker theory and application, and that's great. Another reason we do this, yeah, we do it for the community. We're not going to lie. We do want to give back to the community that we think has given us so much. But the real, the third reason, and maybe this is the most important, is that it helps us with our games. Talking about these concepts each and every week helps us solidify these concepts in our mind so we don't just understand the theory better because you need to understand the theory well enough to explain it coherently to others, which I hope we do. It also helps our application of that theory. And the fact that I crushed live poker last year, and I'm doing pretty well this year, and you are definitely on an uptrend to crush online poker. We got an online poker crusher, a live poker crusher, I'm thinking this is just going to be awesome for us. 2022 is going to be an amazing year. And I got to say, I'm excited for this topic because we're going to do the first in a series on bluffing. And there's a lot that goes on in bluffing. There's a ton of theory that goes on in bluffing. And not just the theory, but the application. It is not as easy as people think. And this is, I should say, this is intended to be the first of a multi-part series. We're not going to talk about pre-flop three-bet bluffing this week. We'll just kind of cover the fundamentals. So if people don't hear their favorite bluffing topic in this week, don't worry. We'll probably have like two, three, four episodes on this. So what are your thoughts, Dell?
0: Well, yeah, I think that one of the things that's funny about pre-flop bluffing, I mean, the thing is, is that most people generally think of the most simplistic way of thinking about bluffing. If we have a hand and we bet, that's value, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be the best hand. But if we have a hand, we think we have value and we bet, that's not bluffing, right? And most people assume that if we don't have a hand and we bet, that's bluffing. Well, if that were 100% true, that means that whenever you bet like ace king, you'd be bluffing because you don't have a hand yet, right? So it it's not really true. It, it, it's an oversimplistic view of bluffing. When we take in, look at bluffing preflop, we really shouldn't ever be thinking of what we do pre-flop as bluffing. Now, the exception to that is going to be three betting, four betting, that stuff. But we're not going to talk about this that this week. We're going to stick with just simply we have an opportunity to open or somebody else is open and we're talking about calling them or possibly raising them. That would be three betting. But we're not talking about the bluffing part. We're really going to talk about our range, and when we look at it, whether or not it's really bluffing or not. So pre-flop, I don't really. I think one of the problems we have is that people get into this notion of they want to pull off a big bluff, right? So the question becomes like, oh, I got Ace Five suited, I can bluff with this hand, and I think that's wrong. I I think it's incorrect is what I really should say. I think that's incorrect thinking. I'm not betting Ace Five suited pre-flop because I think it's a bluff. I'm betting Ace Five suited pre-flop because from the position I'm in at that time, it's part of my range. It gives me board coverage post-flop. It has playability post-flop. It it hits certain boards certain ways that I can carry out certain lines post-flop in order to still win the hand. So at this point, it's not really a bluff. It's a part of my range. And not only is it a part of my range, but I think of it more instead of I'm bluffing this hand. I think more of this hand. This hand is part of my range. in, in that part of my range protects another part of my range. That ace-five suited is going to protect all my high-value hands. That seven-six suited is going to give me great board coverage. And if I got deep enough stacks, that's going to really protect my, my, my high-value hands like aces, kings, queens. So I don't really see it as bluffing. And I think that's one of the things that I think needs to change when we're thinking about this. We're, we shouldn't be thinking, we shouldn't be bluffing on a whim. There's very little pure bluffing pre-flop, and I'll get into that in a moment. The thing is that we should be thinking more about how the hand is going to play if we get called, how the hand is going to play moving forward through the different streets. Because the reality is, is most times we go and we make a bet, we're going to get called at lower stakes. There's always somebody willing to take and put the money in with a bad hand. So why would we want to bluff with a bad hand? What we really want to do is we want to have a hand a that has, has a very good reason for being in our range in the first place.
1: I think that's a huge part of what we discussed in a previous episode about a well-constructed range. I know we talked a lot about it, and then we finally did an episode about it. A well-constructed range doesn't just mean you develop your own pre-flop range chart it means you're able to carry that range through the streets, street by street, because you have a plan. I'm going to include these hands in my range because on certain flops that favor me, I'm going to take this action. On flops that don't favor me, I might still have some board coverage. I might have what Jordan called on a previous episode, a potential high equity holding. That's not really a bluff. We might've called them semi-bluffs previously, but they're hands that just aren't made hands yet, but they have a really high potential of being a made hand. Yeah, I mean, we're not really bluffing because we have reasons behind what we're doing. And I don't want to say that any plan is foolproof. Hardly any plan survives first encounter with the enemy. But we also know that a failure to plan is planning to fail. And I think that's what a pure bluff is. This actually happened to me yesterday. I was in a hand where someone called me out of position pre-flop. The flop comes five deuce deuce. They check. I continuation back, because it's a pretty favorable board for me, and they raise me. All of a sudden, alarm bells ring. I'm thinking, what do they have? Maybe they got 8-7, seven, something 7, 7x, seven maybe a deuce, maybe ace deuce. I mean, I could conceive of them calling with ace deuce, so I folded. They ended up showing 7-deuce off. They played 7-deuce off for poops and giggles, and the problem is, that is not a plan. They played that hand for funsies. And it just so happened to pay off that time. The problem with that is it's going to reinforce for that player, hey, when I play seven deuce off, it wins. I'm going to do it more often. Because again, like we've said, these players tie results to their process and their thought was I'm going to play seven deuce off. The result was they won. So they're going to play it more often. And that's a terrible reason to ever include it in any range ever.
0: Right. Yeah. So when we're looking at those pure bluff scenarios, which I think is funny, I you, I think more likely than them telling themselves that seven deuce off wins, they're more likely to tell themselves that they played it so well. They're so good. They bluff so well. And they probably don't. When we look at that, I mean, there's there's times. Listen, listen, I have an ego. I know this is going to come as a surprise to many people. I have a huge ego and I love to win with seven deuce off. I will play seven deuce off and I shouldn't. I have no good reason to do it, but I'll at least ask myself certain questions, right? And here the rationalization's already starting in case nobody noticed it. Nobody picked it up. The rationalization's already starting. I'll ask certain questions like, have I played a hand in a while? What, what does everybody think that I'm the nitty guy? Am I in position at least? Are the people behind me likely to fold? And and I, all I'm looking for is an opportunity to show that seven deuce and show people that I bluffed them for what? To feed my ego. And here's the thing, it's not even really a pure bluff, because I still have equity. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's a good hand, and I'm not saying it it certainly doesn't belong in my range.
1: It certainly doesn't belong in my range. I think that's one of the tools we can get to though, because you mentioned you don't want to be perceived as nitty McNitterson and just never play a hand for like three hours. And so you're leveraging that profile that others think you have, or that you think others think you have, might be more accurate. So we do have some tools along these lines, and one tool is player profiling, you ask the questions, are the players left to act likely to fold to a bet? If you have a high degree of confidence that you are going to not get called, and maybe you take it down pre, maybe you get heads up and you're in position and you're confident in your post-flop play that you can outmaneuver your opponent on many flops. Because let's face it, opponents don't hit flops two-thirds of the time, they miss. So if you have these rationalizations, I don't even know if they're rationalizations, though, because you actually had a pretty robust thought process. I would say, and, and while I know you have an ego, because I also have an ego, you're likely to not think, wow, I got seven deuce through this time. I might as well play seven deuce all the time. You know, you're not going to do that.
0: Yeah, that that might be true. But let, let's look at the tool we just talked about. We, we talked about player profiling, and this is this is important, but this really, we're still not pure bluffing just based off a profile here, pre-flop. When we take in, we look at it and we talk about, are, are, are the players behind me likely to fold if I raise? If I open here to 3x or 4x, what's the likelihood of the players behind me folding? What we're really talking about more than bluffing is how much positional expansion of my range can I do? We're really talking about, I'm in under the gun. Can I really expand my range? Probably shouldn't. There's a lot of players still to act, and you're probably not going to get them all to fold. So you probably should stick pretty, pretty much to a, a, a sound range. Now I'm in the cutoff. What are the chances of the of the small blind and big blind folding? Well, now I can have a larger positional expansion and I could think of maybe raising 2.5x instead of 3x. And so now am I bluffing? No. Is most of my range already made hands? No, most of my range is non-made hands.
1: Really, the only made hands you're playing pre-flop are the pocket pairs. Correct. Everything else is a draw.
0: Right. Right. And, 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 uh, but, but wait a minute. Gets... Wait a minute. You're, you're yeah. right. You're not wrong. You're right. But when you look at ace-king, you think to yourself, wow, I, I really this hand is really incomplete. I got to make a hand. Or are you thinking, hey, I got ace-king. You're happy about getting ace-king, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because I understand that you don't need to have a pocket pair to have a high degree of equity.
0: There you go. So so I, I know I cut you off, and I'm sorry about that.
1: <laughs> no, this is a conversational podcast. It's kind of what we do.
0: But, but like, yeah, I, I think that's kind of my point. Most of the hands you're going to be betting with preflop are not made hands. You're still not bluffing. You're still not bluffing. If what, what we need to be doing is we need to make sure those hands, one, are part of a well-constructed range, right? And, two, that when we play them, that we're going to be ahead – of our opponent's ranges. Yeah, sure. Are we technically bluffing in the most simplistic way? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we don't have a hand. And we're betting so that we can go post-flop with an uncapped range, preferably in position, because this is the most advantageous spot in poker. But we're still not really bluffing. We're put. Po- it's there for a reason. And it will take and give us certain things going post-flop.
1: And this gets us to the second tool, which is range construction. And again, we've talked about range construction in previous episodes. But let's think about my friend from yesterday who played 7 deuce softsuit. Or you, Dell, who likes to play 7 deuce offsuit, because of, let's go with some other reasons, player profiling, your image, your position, whatever. This guy was out of position. This guy was short-stacked. He was up against me, who had been pretty active, I mean, and he had seen me take down some decent-sized pots, so I would like to think he respected me somewhat. He's out of position. He plays 70 soft suit. How likely is it that he will realize the equity of that hand and be able to push that equity through the streets? He happened to smash the flop by flopping trips. Good for him. What if he flopped 6-deuce king? All right, now he's got the bottom pair. And... It's very likely that even if he were to flop two pair, let's say seven deuce, how easy is it for that deuce to get counterfeit at any point in the hand? It is so hard to carry the equity of these crap holdings. That's why they're called trash. That's why when you bin these holdings, there are trash hands that you just shouldn't play. It's so hard to carry the equity. First of all, they don't have that much equity to begin with. They don't have zero, but they don't have that much. It's hard to carry the equity through the streets of the hand And ever realize it by the time you get to the river.
0: Every hand has to have a certain amount of post-flop playability if we expect it to realize its equity. And we actually really want to take lines where we can try to regularly over-realize a hand's equity. So, for example, calling with deuces, deuces uh, struggle to realize their equity. They have very little to no post-flop playability. If they don't hit a set, they're screwed. If we raise with them, and I'm not, please, don't go out there and start raising every time you have deuces. That's not what I'm recommending. But if we're in a situation where it behooves us to raise them, then what we have is now we have an uncapped range. So we're not going post-flop with just deuces. We're going post-flop with deuces plus. The moment we raise them, we're not set mining once we raise them. We now get to go post-flop with our entire uncapped range. So there are situations where it's better to raise a hand like deuces because once you raise it, then you can literally say that now if a static flop with a high card comes out, now you're not playing your deuces, you're playing your range. And then you can help. What happens in that situation is this, and this is a little off topic, but I think it's important. What happens when you do that is aces, kings, queens, jacks, they all help out your deuces, threes, fours, and fives. What it does is it means you can play deuces in that particular scenario, like aces, because you're playing your range. And then there's going to be hands in between that they really have too much equity that you don't want to risk playing them like aces. You want to play them... A little differently, but those weak hands and those strong hands, you can play the same. The strong hands protect the weak hands. The weak hands help the strong hands get paid off. And this is why I always say it's not about balance. So you keep people balance, balance, balance. Please stop it. It's about protection. You're literally protecting one part of your range with another part of your range. You're feeding one part of your range with another part of your range. So. Back to the bluffing part. Believe it or not, all this ties in. All this comes together. When we're taking and we're acting pre-flop, what we want to be doing, if somebody opens too much, we want to take and be punishing them, and that'll be in three bet, and that's going to come next week. And we can look at some things there where we might say that's a bluff. But for the most part, if we're opening pre-flop, what we're doing is we need to be doing this with hands that we know go post-flop. We want to get there with a uncapped range preferably in position create the most advantageous spot in poker for us that we can apply pressure with our entire range and here's the thing like you've heard me mention board coverage and stuff like that and and this is great in some games you don't always need board coverage but when you need it it's great because it means you can go post-flop and you can take and play any board That's an exaggeration. You can play most boards without being abused. There's going to be some boards that are just going to run too negative equity for your range. But the majority of the boards, you're never going to get pushed off of. You're going to be able to play them. You're going to be able to play them strongly and uncapped.
1: Well, I would actually push back a little bit where you can play every board. And sometimes playing means folding. And we had talked before how no one's lost their birthday, folding. No one's died, folding. But... You need to feel comfortable folding. And this is where having a plan for the hand comes in. If you construct your range well enough and you have a reason for why everything is in your range, they're not really bluffs, they're high potential equity holdings, you, know, you, you have a reason for why to do it. And you have to do the off-table work to figure out, all right, when these types of boards come, here are the lines I can take. And here are the lines I shouldn't take because like last week's episode, you don't want to confuse showdown value. For thin equity. So that's a line you would take on the river. But you need to do this off table work ahead of time so you're more comfortable in these positions. Because frankly, when poker players don't have a plan and something comes out of left field and surprises you, poker players are likely to spaz. And when we spaz, we lose chips. It's happened to me. I spaz, like my brain just freezes and I don't know what to do. And I, I somehow find a way to do like the worst possible thing. And I lose money that way. Yeah, I mean, and, and if you want to pull off a pure bluff, pre-flop, you can kind of do what Dell did. As long as you have valid reasons for it, you know you can lean on your table image. You know you can lean on your post-flop skills. You know you can lean on the power of position. It's not because you're doing it on a whim, but just be careful.
0: Yeah. So I, I think that there's some things that we want to add here coming into the end of this We've talked about a couple of tools that we can use. And I think one of the, there's a couple of things that are very important. All this stuff ties together. And, and one of the things that's important, seriously, if you don't have pre-flop range construction now, you're going to struggle through every facet of poker. So you shouldn't even worry about bluffing if you don't understand why certain hands are in your range. So you should know why they're in your range, when they need to be in your range. You should have all that figured out before you even worry about bluffing. The reason for that is this, okay? Here's the truth. If we work on our range construction and we're pre-flop and we have a good solid range pre-flop and a good understanding why every hand is in there and we go to flop and we know the incentives of the different parts of our range on any given flop. We know the hands that we're going to take and bet for value. We know the type of hands we're going to take and check raise with. We know the hands we're going to take and try to get to showdown cheaply with, and we know the hands that we're just going to give up on. We know all that. If you know that and you have that solid in your pre-flop, the important part here is that the pre-flop range is correct, and you know that on the flop and you know that on the turn. When you get to the river, this magical thing happens. If you have all the rest of it sound, you get to the river with this. You get to the river with the right amount of showdown and the right amount of bluffs. You don't have to worry about thinking, I have to do this so often to take and maintain balance. No, you'll get there. It'll get there and you'll be there. And you'll be in that 30, 70% range that a lot of us would like to be. And if it ain't perfect, that's not a big deal because it's not going to be 70, 30 for everything. And some will say 50, 50, it doesn't matter. If you know what you want to get there on the river with, it goes back to pre-flop in designing your range so that that happens.
1: So there's a big part about getting bluffs through and that's having a well-constructed range. Dell doesn't like the term balance, but really what it is is having the right mix of showdown value, thin value, and just air balls that you can bluff on because you're telling a story. The entire hand, you're telling a story street to street. And if the person's paying attention and they're reading that story, great. Those are the people you can bluff. If they're not paying attention to the story, You can't bluff them. What you're doing is you're pushing them off a hand. And there's a difference there. I think we need to talk about that difference, but that'll be a future cast. So we're lining up future episodes for three betting pre-flop, which may include bluffs. We're also lining up episodes for the difference between pushing people off a hand and bluffing, like what a real bluff is when you get in later streets. That's an important part. And it all comes down to being able to carry your pre-flop construction through the story of a hand and being able to tell a coherent story. And it all comes together like Dell's right. It's it's not like you can focus on one part of the game and you can ignore everything else. It's it's a holistic exercise. You need to factor everything together. And if you change one component of your game, you might need to tweak another component because that's no longer kind of in sync or coherent with your overall strategy.
0: Yeah. And I'm just going to say one thing about that. I we're going to definitely talk about here in a future episode. We're going to talk about Blockers and anti blockers. And, and in my opinion, I think that eliminates the need for complete air balls because you know, when your air ball has uh, a blocker, you have some advantage there. So we've got a lot planned around bluffing. I'm guessing, and, and I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing at least three, maybe four episodes in this. So this is the first one of uh, at least
1: two more, possibly three more. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to the series, Dale. Do you have anything else to add on this topic?
0: No, I think we've covered pre-flop pretty good. Um, Next week is going to be pre-flop, bluffing, three-betting.
1: Awesome. Thanks for joining me, Dell. It's been great. Awesome. Thanks. And until next week, stick to the plan and may all your variants be positive.
0: This has been The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. If you haven't already done so, consider subscribing. And when you're not counting your chips, take a moment to leave the guys a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours.